White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 490. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody'd know a thing about it until it was all over. And once more, we play our dangerous game with our old adversaries, the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. He wants to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. I'm going to blow him right to Mars. Ramius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. What can you possibly know what goes on in this mine? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. He's defecting. You willing to bet your life on that? From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. My orders are specific. Battle stations. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition. Two, one, zero. We have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. The second five is moving off the tail. It is now clear to the top. Welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, now on video, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined for this special movie review episode by the yard sale artist, Jared Albrick, and his brother, Jason Albrick. Welcome aboard the White Rocket Show, guys. Woo! I love it. All aboard. All the toot toots. Tonight, we're talking about, as you see rolling across the bottom of the screen, if you're on ah. the video... Right. The first three Jack Ryan movies. We're going to talk about The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger based on the novels, loosely based in some cases, on the on the Tom Clancy novels of the same names that came out in the 80s. So we've got 1990s movies, about 1980s novels. And I, I want to kind of get you guys a uh, background on Clancy and the books and everything, but I would point out, to me, the Clancy books are very much, especially those early ones, are very much a product of the 80s. You know what I mean? They just feel mm-hmm. like 19. 19- when I think 1980s, I think the Cosby Show, the A-Team, Prince and Michael Jackson, and Tom Clancy novels, pretty much. I mean, that's the 80s right there. So, uh, Jason, let me start with you. You've, you. you've been a Clancy reader for a long time, right? What kind of what's your connection with those novels? How far back do you go and what do you think of them? Oh, Van, I go back to the beginning. I picked up uh, Hunt for Red October uh, when it came out. I read it when I was in high school. I read it cover to cover, read it a couple times. Absolutely loved it. Um, Read uh, Red Storm Rising, which came out shortly thereafter. One of my favorite books to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, just, uh, I love the attention to detail. I love the character development. 
And uh, yeah, Clancy, when when he came out of the gate, he came roaring out of the gate with those those early novels. So, yep, I got in on the ground floor on that one, Van. You know, and the interesting thing too there um, is, you know, just like, and this is something that Jason, um, that, that Jared certainly will will know what I mean here about Bond. When the first Bond novel started coming out, remember it was John F. Kennedy that famously endorsed From Russia with Love and made it kind of picked up the sales in America. Well. Ronald Reagan loved Hunt for Red October. And, you know, he went on the record saying it's the perfect yarn. He loved it. And that kind of made people all go run out and pick up Hunt for Red October. I feel like Hunt for Red October was originally published by like a very small niche press. They were the only ones that would publish it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jared. I beat Jason with the hand up. Uh, (laughs) The United States Navy press printed his original books. And he ended up making a boatload uh, of money for the United States Navy. Yep, that's it's a very bizarre situation in that he wasn't getting published, and for some reason, I, I guess maybe his military connections, maybe he had a friend, I don't know, but maybe Jason knows that part. But yeah, the U.S. Navy Press ended up uh, printing some of his early books, and that really launched him into superstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he got a bigger deal, and I guess right. a reprint deal with a bigger mainstream press. I guess it was a matter where the editors in that era did, didn't think that they're, because it was kind of unique, right? His kind of books, he was the first, I guess in some ways, he's kind of the grandfather of this sort of modern techno thriller that combines global politics with technology. You really didn't, I mean, you you had like Robert Ludlum and Frederick Forsyth, but they weren't doing the techno stuff. They were just doing the thriller stuff. And maybe you had some military stuff but nothing like he was doing. And he kind of combined that cutting edge. Here's what the military's doing right now, technologically, as well as doctrine, and everything else with that fictional plot engine, you know, that pulp story. And that was brand new. And I guess a lot of editors said, we've never seen anything like this. And we only publish stuff that we know, right? That's how a lot of publishers are. Yeah. I guess there were some similarities you could say to the Ludlum novels or maybe the Alistair McLean novels, uh, that mm-hmm. type of thing, but I think what really set this apart was it was it definitely captured the zeitgeist of the Cold War. I mean, yeah. it 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 is it really captures the essence of the Cold War, and and Ronald Reagan put it best. It was just a terrific yarn. Yeah, it really had that '80s Reagan kick the Soviet Union's butt. I mean, I guess you kind of had the. It's one of those things where you kind of had to be there. You know, I think younger people today, it's just impossible to appreciate that zeitgeist you mentioned, just what it felt like to be in the United States in the early 80s when, you know, all the way through the late 70s, the Soviets had been kind of kicking our butt at stuff or we'd been like, you know, this the hostages in Iran and the Carter administration. You know, there was just a lot of stuff going on that people were kind of depressed about and down. And Reagan came in and waved the flag and, well, God bless America and all and I don't mean this is like a necessarily a political endorsement or criticism. You know, if you like Reagan, great. If you don't like Reagan, I don't care. Not my point. My point is there's no question as a history professor, I talk about this all the time. There's no question that he changed the public mindset in the eighties to one of like gung ho, let's go kick butt. You know, we're number one and Clancy's stories just dovetailed right into that. I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it even goes back to, you know, the end of the Vietnam War. I mean, we kind of had our teeth kicked in. And like you mentioned, then you had the oil embargoes of the 70s and 
it, I think America was just really, you know, kind of down on the military, down on the government. and Watergate, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. And like you said, love him or hate him, Ronald Reagan came in there. And you can't deny that he, you know, he possessed the power to motivate. He had a lot of charisma. Whether or not you get behind his policies, like you said, Van, don't care. You can't deny that his influence on 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 the United States. And then we started seeing that influence in the media, including books like Hunt for Red October. Including, we started seeing movies like you know Rocky, Rambo, a lot of those. Uh, um, um, Let's celebrate the military as opposed to um, sitting here mourn, mourning our past losses. Uh, so I think this yeah. book really summarizes that or characterizes that that moment, that moment in time, which we were lucky enough to live through. That's right. Yeah, it was interesting. And I think it really does encapsulate it. So, um, uh, Jared, what was your uh, connection to the books? Were you reading them back then or later? And what did you think about them? I've actually never read them. Not sure what I'm doing here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. No, I came to them later than Jason because, you know, I was in like middle school, grade school when Jason was in high school. I'm five years younger. So that's a little dense, you know. <laughs> for that. I was aware of them and I was like, these are the cool military books that my brother reads and my father reads. So definitely was aware of them. But I came to them probably, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago with the proliferation of audiobooks and um, you know, about 10 years ago, it wasn't so much audible, but CDs, books on CDs, and you know me, I'm a big yard sailor. You know, they call me the yard sale artist. So I would find these at, at yard sales, books on CDs. And that's how I came to them. I, I really listened to all these books later in life. Like I'd already seen the movies by the time I came to the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did teach on academic circle uh, for the air force when I was in my air force career up in Montgomery at air university and uh, every man a tiger was required reading there. It's on the required reading list. So that's sort of an oddball Clancy that not a lot of people <laughs> talk about um, that's out there. So not related to what we're doing tonight, but I have encountered him. I think that's the only one I've actually ever read, read, you know, in its physical book form. Otherwise, audiobook. Um, I did want to add to the to the power of Clancy in the 80s discussion. I was at a Trivial Pursuit competition uh, a few years ago, uh, which I won naturally. Uh, but, but the question was posed to me, who were the three best-selling authors of the 1980s? And I used my yard sale powers and I thought, well, which authors have I seen from that era more than any other when I go yard sale to yard sale? So I guessed mm-hmm. Stephen King, Tom mm-hmm. Clancy, Danielle Steele. And I was correct. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, people might think Clancy, oh, he's the, you know, uh, he's the guy that does the splinter cell video games, you know, <laughs> that's kind of always known in modern lore, those Tom Clancy video games. But man, in the 80s, you couldn't you couldn't turn around without finding him or King or Daniel Steele on the shelf somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and some would argue that uh, over the course of time, the editorial reins on him got looser and the books got longer and longer and kind of harder to read. Those early books are tighter. I mean, as we're going to talk about the hunt for red October and Patriot games, those two books were very tight. I thought, you, you know, you get a little bit later on debt of honor and executive orders and all that, the dragon and the t- tiger and the bear, the, the zoo, whatever they start bear getting. The longer. Yeah. yeah. They get longer and thicker. And I'm just like, okay, we had 30 pages on how the Japanese build something out of wood. And I just didn't need to know that at all. So started fuzzing out on me that, that at that point, but I was there for like the first seven or eight of them and really, really enjoyed them. Certainly in their time, I'm not sure how they hold up for me now, but at the, but in the eighties, 
as a product of that decade, I thought they absolutely were just like perfect right on. And so, well, let's segue then to in, in, in the late eighties and, and Jared, you and I have talked about this kind of thing before with our James Bond shows, how real world events come along just as they're making a bond movie and it kind of becomes awkward. Like the cold war ends. What do you do? You know, well, that same thing happened here. All, you know, Clancy's early books were all set during the cold war with the Soviet union and before they make a single movie, the Berlin Wall comes down at the end of 89, just as they're finishing up filming <laughs> Red October. And by 1990, Germany's reunifying. And just a few months later, the Soviet Union would collapse by the end of 91. And so over a three-year span, everything those books were about totally changes. And so so let's, let's talk about how that affects this movie, The Hunt for Red October. This is a... Um, uh, it was a John McTiernan film. I believe he was fresh off of uh, Die Hard. I love Die Hard so much. I would have gone to see this if I knew nothing about it. It just so happened that I'm like, oh, that's that first Tom Clancy book. I really like that. I'm looking forward to the movie. And so we actually talked about this movie by itself on uh, on a Dragon Con uh, panel, virtual panel last week. And I was pointing out then that... Um, you know, everybody else on it just loves this movie. It's one of their favorite movies. One of the panelists is their all-time favorite movie, which I never would have guessed it was somebody's all-time favorite movie. And um, I was saying, well, you know, when it first came out, I didn't love it because it changes a certain amount of stuff from the book. And I was not thrilled with that. But every time I've watched it over the years since 1990, and I've watched it about once every 10 years, probably. I probably watched it about 2000, maybe 2005, and then like about, and then the five years ago and then about this year. So maybe five years. Every time I've watched it, this is the 30th anniversary, I've liked it more. I think this one has actually aged better than any of them because it's kind of a time, you know, if you get past the Soviet trappings, which are not really necessary, it could be Putin's Russia, you know, when you get past those trappings, it's just a solid story with cool characters. So, you guys are nodding, but for those listening on the podcast, Jason, um, tell us kind of about the movie, your your reaction then and now to Hunt for Red October. Well, back then, I, it's it, it's been a while since I watched the movie. I remember liking it when I when I saw it. I think I kind of felt like that feeling you sometimes have when you really loved a book and the, you saw the movie and you're like, "Hey, it's pretty good," mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. but I, I like the book better. Um, and this time, in preparing for this podcast, watching it again, I kind of agree with you. I I, I just kind of watched it. I mm-hmm. kind of let go of the Cold War feelings, and I hadn't read the book in a while. And you're right. It's just well acted, has a lot of great performers in it. It's, it's a tense thriller. It doesn't give you a lot of boring Mm-mm. places. It's... It's moving, and it it doesn't. Um, it snaps right along, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't coddle you either. You have to pay attention and keep up. Mm-hmm. And and I found it very enjoyable. And I think you're right. I think you could set this story um, in in any in any generation and and have a have a good tale. I think there's definitely, you know, obviously some Cold War elements still remaining, but um, 
overall, that was my my impression on this rewatch. Great actors, great characters, uh, tense story, and well paced. I think so too, um, Jared. Uh, same thing. What how, watching it again recently? I believe you said you did. Did did you find you liked it more or less? Kind of having the book in the rearview mirror a little bit. What did it do to you? I liked it more. I've always been a person who is uh, my mutant superpower is to separate book and movie. I do that really well. Like I don't ever like, oh, this didn't follow the blah blah blah. I, I just watch it for what it is. And for a Cold War submarine thriller, it's excellent. It's it's a really good flick. And let's be honest, when I was going to see it in in 1990 as a teenager. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all in for Connery. I'm going to see Connery. That's that's why I'm going to this movie. I, I, I don't care about the Tom Clancy books. I'm like, it's a Connery film. He's got a cool haircut. Let's see what this <laughs> all... I mean, movie poster's dope. I mean, it's a great poster. I it think is. it's done in a single color. I think it's just black and red. Yeah. And it's really cool looking. And that's the only reason I wanted to see it. And I watch it, and it's this great film. And like, like we, we've, I'm the guy who turns it on its ear because I came to the book after the movie. And so I listen to the audio book, and I go, oh, okay, yeah, there's some differences there. But having first sampled the movie, that is now my baseline. And I'm like, this book is good, but it drags in spots. It's true. Um, and like Jason said, the movie's crisp. And I think the reason it's crisp, and Jason said this too, is because it demands that you pay attention. Uh, you know, if you zone out for a little moment, then there's what? Three submarines going on? Four submarines going on at any given moment? You gotta moment. know which sub you're on, yeah. There's an American they, one, a Russian one, another Russian one, another American one. Yeah, if you don't keep up, you are screwed, man. But they do a good job of letting you know which sub you're on, I thought. They, With they the, have, lighting, the lighting. Lighting and the coloring. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and the Russian was, one apparently had cigarettes all over. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I was gonna say, this to me is my second favorite Cold War era submarine movie after the great Alistair McLean's Ice Station Zebra, which I dearly love. I love Ice Station Zebra. I've watched it over and over and over. Like Howard Hughes, I could just have it on a loop and just keep watching it all the time. It's so cool. But um, but this one has more actual like submarine stuff going on. They just kind of use, you know, on, on, on Ice Station Zebra, there's that one scene where the sub almost goes to the bottom and then they pull back up. Other than that, it might as well be the Enterprise going to another planet. It might as well be a bus driving to another town. You know, the sub is really just a conveyance. It's more about the characters. Whereas this movie is a real submarine movie, and everything that happens in it involves the fact that these are submarines, you know, that they're able to be silent, the the Caterpillar drive on, the, on Red October. And, you know, it's funny, too. Um, Jared, you said that Connery kind of brought you in, and I was like... Sean Connery, what? I was like, that was the the one casting thing. I'm like, okay, so Alec Baldwin is Ryan. Sure, I kind of was envisioning, um, um, oh crap, I was envisioning Field of Dreams. Um, Kevin Costner, yeah, I Susan kinda, Sarandon. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was always kind of envisioning Kevin Costner. That's, I was that's too. Ryan. Yeah, me too. But I thought, I thought that. Um, Baldwin did a really good job. In fact, I like him better as Jack Ryan in this movie than I, than I do Harrison Ford playing him in the other two movies. And most people seem to think that. Um, I but I but I was like Sean Connery, and and I guess we 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 had had a Scottish Spanish a Scottish Spanish Egyptian in Highlander, and a and so what was so big deal about a Scottish 
Lithuanian Soviet in Red October. So in honor, I wore my Scottish soccer jersey <laughs> for, uh, for Captain Ramius, the Scottish Russian Lithuanian Soviet sub commander. Who, well by way of Egypt, Con- yeah. <laughs> Connery is the only actor other than Jason Statham that does their own accent and everything and just dares you to say anything, right? <laughs> they both just play whatever part, and you're like, but Mr. Connery, you're using a Scottish accent and you're playing, what's the problem? Nothing. It's good. Don't, don't get Jason started. Uh, oh, you know, you're fired. <laughs> Jason is the same way, man. And I don't, honestly, with both of them, I don't care, right? With both of them, I'm like, you're awesome. Just do your thing, you know? Statham is like, it's so funny. Statham used to always try to do like an American accent or something. And after two or three movies of that, they just said, screw it. Just use your own accent. We'll make something up. And it's funny. There were like, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but Statham went through three phases. First, he tried to do an American accent and failed. Then in the phase two, he would use his normal kind of Cockney accent and they would come up with a story reason like, oh, your husband moved here. Right. The, the American wife. Oh, your husband moved here from England. Oh, he's so funny. Third phase. They just ignore it. <laughs> they just don't even. Don't even don't no, worry. He's reached Connery status. Yes. They don't even remark on it. It's like this, this random I, guy from Texas sounds like. <laughs> Jason, and I recently watched The Wind and the Lion yeah, where Connery played a Berber. Didn't even try, you know. That's the beauty of Connery. It's 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 timeless. You know what though? This does open the door to, to for me to talk about one of my favorite things from a filmmaking point of view. I don't know if this is the first time they've ever done it. Probably not, but it's the first time I ever saw it, and I thought it was brilliant how they were speaking Russian and subtitled, and then they zoom in on the mouth, and and the, the actors just start speaking English, and they zoom back out, and it, I yeah. thought that was very creative filmmaking, and I've always thought it was cool. Absolutely. The only other movie I can think of that does that is the 13th warrior, but they yeah, do it in a different way. Cause he listened. <laughs> I didn't see. Well, he, he starts picking up pieces. He mm-hmm. starts picking it's, it's pieces. time lapse. That's yeah. the thing. They, they both use a cinematic device, but with 13th warrior time passes days and nights go by. Sometimes it's raining. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's brighter, darker, and he's listening. Whereas with this, they just zoom in on his mouth and they come back out and we can. Yeah. So uh, I always figured that they like that was not originally in the script. And Connery, after the second day of filming, is like, I'm not doing any more Russian. You're going to have to come up with something. <laughs> I'm not speaking any more Russian, man. I'm not doing subtitles. <laughs> just come up with something. We all study Scottish English in this scene. <laughs> and just talk that way the rest of the movie, you know, I love it. I love it. So. So what was um, what's the what's the what do you think is like the strongest and the weakest parts about this movie? That might be a fun way to go, uh, and we can do that about the other two too. Strong, what uh, Jared? You go this time. What was like the strongest thing for you about this movie and the weakest thing? Okay, strongest is going to be easy, and it's it's going to be broad. But I mean, it's the cast. I mean, not only do we get Connery, we get Sam Neill, we get Scott Glenn. Oh, I love. We get Alec Baldwin. We get freaking Tim Curry in a bit part. It's, it's like every time you turn around, it's got uh, uh, Gates McFadden from Star Trek The Next Generation in it for one that scene. Much. Yeah. I, I'm like, the, James Earl Jones, I, I'm mm-hmm. still going. The, uh, the, the dude who played Jonesy, he's he's a great actor. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jonesy's awesome. Great character. So to me, the highest of the highs is just this ensemble class just 
clicks on every single scar scar is in it for goodness sakes i'm still it's going it's true <laughs> i like the, the cast is it, just nuts. samuel l jackson's in it because he that's the law was he in this one i know he's he came like in a, he's I like a he, commander or something yeah i can remember that i know well, he maybe, comes in like in another one but i'm okay, sure maybe i'm maybe i'm he thinking in, about another one he's in patriot games patriot okay games. Well, he he might as well have been in this. He might as well, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, that's the real strength. As far as a a weakness, man, I really like this movie. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll just take a pass and listen to someone else who's got a weakness and maybe pile on. But nothing springs to mind. It is that good, that engaging, good mm-hmm. flick. And I'll, I'll pass it to Jason. Jason, sir. I think I'll, I'll go with. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. I'd say the the pacing. The story and the pacing of the story keeps you engaged. It's one of those that could easily bog down, and it doesn't. Uh, it keeps it keeps your your mind focused on on the story the whole way. So to me, that's the strength. The weakness, and this is just kind of a minor nitpicky thing for me, was um, we were just starting to get on the cusp of the green screen and the uh, digital effects, and some of those digital effects looked a little weak. And some of that green screen, you could really tell was green screen. So, um, yeah. so from that perspective, the effects were um, early '90s, and it showed. So it doesn't hold up quite as well. Uh, but again, that's that's getting real, real down in the weeds and nitpicky. The only time I really notice it is, I think, at the end when they're coming in the it, river. The, they're coming in the river. It, that one definitely feels like green screen or back projection-y. I'm not sure which one they were doing, but that was the one that really stood out to me. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, I'm always very, I'm very forgiving. I know Jason is, too. I know he went to the to the bottom of the barrel to find a nitpick, but I'm pretty forgiving about, um, you know, old-school movies. Of course, you're going to have old-school effects, right? Right. So, but, yeah, I do find it distracting that that didn't see that where they come out on the river. Which is too bad, because it's a nice little solemn wrap-up to the whole thing, where they do the fake Columbus quote, and welcome to the new world and everything, and and you're kind of going, what's going on in the behind them there with the sky all crackly? But okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess, um, yeah, it, you guys, I mean, the two things you mentioned, the cast and then the way that it's structured, I guess, yeah, I, I, similarly, I would say the way that they pared the story down into a very fast-moving, clean um, A to Z while still managing to get in enough of the little care. I mean, it's kind of a combination. They, they, they do what Jason said. They have it very pared down, fast-moving. But like you said, Jared, they managed to fit in a little a little bit of good quality screen time for each of the main characters. Like you, even if it's just a snippet, they get you know they get a little bit of character stuff in. We even see you know Ryan buying the little stuffed animal for his daughter. You know, and same bear from Die Hard. Was it really? Oh wow! That's what I read in the trivia on it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I didn't realize that, but that makes sense. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it has a lot of the same things going for it that Die Hard did. You can tell, you know, McTiernan was really in his in his element back then in the late 80s. It's got some of the same crisp, you know, it's it's um I think too that it, it makes a, it makes good work of the fact that there are really multiple leads to this movie. You know, that that it's not just Jack Ryan. I mean, Ramius has as much of a leading role, as much of a protagonist in it as I mean, there's not really a bad guy. I know that the that, that Skarsgård as the sub commander at the very end is kind of the bad guy, but honestly, it's it's a story where the adversary is like the situation. You know, I mean, like even the Soviets aren't that bad in it. They're more like James Bond Soviets than they are evil villain Soviets, you know. 
Right. And so it's like this, the, the, it's like they're trying to solve a puzzle more than they are trying to fight a battle. Like they, they put that one little battle in at the end, almost just to give us some conflict, but it's really more like trying to work, you know, first it's Ryan trying to work out the puzzle and then it's Ryan and Ramius together trying to work out how to make it play out well. So, right. They do it so well that I'm jumping in. Sorry, I got fired up. Uh, They do it so well that the Soviets from the red October is there cheering on their captain in his battle you like like you said you don't they're not evil you're like these are mm-hmm. this is what soldiers this is what military people do and you're kind of with them in a small way you're like yeah support support your boss man support your commander that's how you roll i don't know maybe that's just a military perspective well no but they're not you're not they're not up to nefarious right deeds necessarily so there's no reason to be wanting them to die or anything you know so yeah fair fair yeah. I, I, I thought it i thought it and, and that's another thing is that really you know you have the saboteur and you have um, Skarsgård as the Soviet enemy commander. And that's pretty much the only villains in the piece. Even the, even the Soviet ambassador that's kind of like representing the other side, he really gets played for laughs more than anything else. When he comes in, they're like, have you lost another submarine? He's like, uh, wah, 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 you know. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? Mm. He had. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> that guy. I knew you weren't going to be able to resist it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I knew. Yeah, I absolutely recognized recognized him. He's uh, he's great. Um, how did he never end up in a Bond movie, Jared? I don't know, but he did end up in a Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes episode, so that was cool to see him in that. Oh, I didn't. I don't remember that, but I'll have to. Uh, I have to go back and rewatch them all again. It'd be neat if there were like a podcast talking about those that I could be on and talk about them. But I, I know of a podcast that talks good. about them. So I, part a. <laughs> I watched the entire. Uh, I've watched them all the way through several times over the years. So hmm. I guess I'm over overqualified to talk about them on a podcast. <laughs> um, Our people will call your people. Um, where did it go? I was just going to show you something, but I don't know where it is. I got like the box set here of the entire series somewhere. But anyway, um, anyway, so, go so, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So Hunt for an October, we can come back to it at the end and kind of recap, but let's circle around now to Patriot Patriot games. Um, this was the third, I believe Clancy book. Cause he, it's, it's the second Ryan, right? And he put out red storm rising. That wasn't a Ryan book. That was, that was he and another guy that had played Harpoon, and he was basically wanting to role-play World War III without nuclear weapons. And I'm, I have never read a book as intently as I read Red Storm Rising, because I'm like, oh, my God, it's World War III. I got to know what happens. And that was a thick book, too. With lots but, um, of stuff going on, too. Yeah, lots of stuff. But there's not a Jack Ryan in it. It's like, it's like a book of all the supporting characters from all the Jack Ryan books having World War III, you know. Without a, without a super secret agent guy. So so he does trick games, and this is a much more personal story. It's weird. It's it's This one has bad guys, particularly the movie. It has, you know, really bad guys, and it is a very adversarial relationship between a very good guy and a very bad guy. And it, it instead of the Cold War, it gets us into the, the troubles, right? The Irish, the IRA, and, and all of that. And so uh, Jason... Talk about Patriot Games a little bit, the movie versus the book and, and whatever else you think is relevant in terms of just what do people need to know about that movie and, and what did you think about it? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think the movie, it's been a long time since I've read the book, but it seems mm-hmm. to me it followed 
at least the plot and the spirit of the book pretty well. I mean, the gist of it is, is that Jack Ryan finds himself in the middle of, uh, uh, well, what they believe to be an IRA plot, but it's a splinter IRA group to, that's trying to attack members of the royal family, and he disrupts it and in the process kills the brother of one IRA terrorist. And that sets off this whole course of revenge. Uh, the book I found kind of interesting. I kind of felt like this is where Jack Ryan starts coming into like superhero status a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of bothered me a little. Uh, I, I remember as I read it, and that translated on the screen too. I thought I, I kind of preferred the Jack Ryan from Hunt for Red October, who's just a guy that kind of finds himself in the middle of this thing and has to rise above the occasion. And here, um, you know, it's, uh, like I say, just, just a little, a little more superhero status than, than, than I would have liked. Um, but having said that, I did enjoy the book and I did, did enjoy the movie. Um, it's probably out of the three that we've, uh, we watched is it's probably the, the one that I enjoyed the least, but I still liked it. If that's him. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, Jared, your thoughts on Patriot Games? Uh, largely similar to Jason. Surprise, surprise. I will take up a little bit for Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan, superhero status, because I did some research on the movie. Let me not lie. My wife researches movies while we watch them and tells me things. <laughs> and she pointed out that Harrison Ford didn't want Jack Ryan to be James Bond. And so that's like, that's why when the the blonde guy tries to assassinate him on the street, I mean, he gets away, but he gets his butt kicked. And that was, that was by Harrison Ford's design. He's like, I'm, this character is not Indiana Jones. He's not a fighter. He, he's just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and so I will give him up, give it up for that. Um, he will continue to, in the next movie, get a little more comfortable in an action role. But I do think Ford plays it well in that he never seems comfortable in the action role. He is a little superhero y at the beginning in that opening scene where he stops the, the terrorist attack, but he does, he plays it well. I think he's got a look of desperation on his face. It's not like, yeah. you know, let's do oh, this. It's more, it's more like, oh. I, I got to do something, you know? Um, so I, that's the only slight tangent I'll take from Jason. And I probably just got, got, you know, attained from that stuff that Johanna was reading me, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, I will. Uh, well, you know what? I'll say I'll save my low for when we get to our highs and lows <laughs> at the end. What about you, Van? I totally agree. I think that Harrison Ford in this part, in both of the two movies he does, this one and the next one, the, the third one we're going to talk about. In both of these movies, he goes through the entire movie, and those watching on video can see me, and I'll describe it. But he goes through both movies like this, kind of like making that. Oh my gosh, what's going on? He never looks like you know, Superman, he always looks like, what the heck is happening here? Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And, and that it, 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 it's funny. I think it, in some ways it's why I kind of like, I mean, I get what he's doing and it's effective enough, but I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like um, in hunt for red October, uh, Alec Baldwin did that. I don't think he had to resort as much to being like looking terrified all the time or shocked all the time to get across that same effect. I'm not exactly sure what he, he had more of like a befuddlement look like, you know, through most of that movie, like what's going on here. I'm trying to figure it out. Whereas Harrison Ford just looks harassed throughout both of these movies. Cause he's kind of is being harassed, certainly in this one, you know, uh, and long stretches of the next one. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's more of a personal story. That was the thing is that, like I said, hunt for Red October 
there were several leads. You know, Jack Ryan was probably the main one, but Ramius wasn't far behind. And like you said, Jared, he's the guy on the poster. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to say that 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 Alec Baldwin is the clear A1 leader character in Hunt for Red October when he's not even on the movie poster, but somebody else is, you know, and it's not like a half-naked woman like they might do. It's another guy gets the poster, you know. So whereas this movie, it's clearly Harrison Ford versus Sean Bean. That's it, right? Everything else serves the two of them working their way eventually to a showdown. It basically turns into like, golden eye in a way it's it's almost like they could have just kept taking those boats out to sea and ended up at arecibo in puerto rico (laughs) and and, uh sean sean miller would be like i feel like i've been here before and then harrison ford like knocks him off and he falls he's like not again (laughs) poor sean bean no i know man but um you did bring up something that i wanted to mention that that johanna did in her research while i sat next to her but um apparently ford was on the table for up for october and he passed on it because he said the russian submarine captain was the better role See, I know the other half of that story. Jason, do you have something on that before I... Oh, I just, I thought that was interesting because later on he plays a Russian captain on a submarine in K-19, The Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. That's interesting. Yeah, my understanding, I, the other half of the story, I don't, I, that, that totally sounds 100% plausible. I, but what I'd heard was that um, they had Alec Baldwin and then he was in negotiations to be in Patriot Games and he sure. wanted to be he wanted to be on Broadway in Streetcar Named Desire, and they were having a hard time negotiating the money and the schedule, script approval. There was a bunch of things that were in the way. Meanwhile, the studio had canceled a movie Harrison Ford was going to be in, and they said, "Well, is there anything else you want to do? Because we got this one movie here." And he's like, "Oh, I could do that." And so he kind of stepped in, and Alec Baldwin was apparently mm-hmm. not happy about that. That's that is true. That is the continuation of the story. Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. The only hurdle they had was he had director approval. They'd already tagged Philip Noyce from Blind Fury, which Jason and I recently covered on Action Film Face Off. Um, right. And Harrison Ford was had never heard of him, even though he'd done Blind Fury. But he'd done like some artsy film that none of us have ever heard of. But when it was mentioned to Harrison Ford, he was like, "Oh, that's him. Yeah, I'll work with him." And it was like, "What? <laughs> you picked the film no one's ever heard of." But yeah, absolutely. That's that's the story I heard as well. I basically Baldwin kind of chose the Broadway play over the mm-hmm. over the over, film over being an action multiple series star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he probably. I think there's more to it, but yeah, I um because I can't imagine him passing that up. I think he would have done it if he could have. But um the uh oh the shoot I'm blanking out of it now um. Oh, McTiernan. I think he was set to direct it, but he decided because it was going to be they were going to do Clear and Present Danger second. They had a John Milius script for Clear and Present Danger. And um, I don't think that the production company and I think Tom Clancy didn't like it. So they decided to go with Patriot Games instead, at which point McTiernan, who was Irish, said, I can't direct this. And he stepped out and they brought in Philip Noyce to replace McTiernan. Uh-huh. 
Ah, I didn't know about the director thing. Yeah, so he swapped out too. So you end up swapping out the actor and swapping out the director for different reasons. And you have a whole different... So it's it's weird. It's basically like a series, but with different people taking over after the first one. It's it's it's. I mean, we're used to that with Bond, where you swap out Bonds occasionally. You swap out directors almost every movie. But it's it's not something American series do as much, I don't think, as British ones do. So that was, you know, and that reminds me of a question I was going to ask you guys both. Are you surprised that there have been as few Jack Ryan movies? I mean, I know there's a TV show now, but that's just the last couple of years. And, and I'm enjoying it. I've watched the first couple of episodes now. I'm, I'm kind of late to it because I'm like, Jack Ryan, I wanted this show 20 years ago. I'm not sure I want it now, you know, because now it's like we've got Homeland you know, we've got so much CIA analysts doing stuff now, but in the 80s, we didn't have that in the 90s. You didn't, you know, in the 80s and 90s, the FBI was still the ones that they were making all the shows about. The CIA were in the shadows. Oh, don't make a show about us. But somewhere along the last 15 years, it switched and the FBI became the bumbling idiots in every show and movie, right? Oh, the FBI is here to screw it all up. Think about Die Hard, right? It was the first. And the CIA <laughs> became the guys that are saving the world. Right. And Homeland is the one where like even a clinically insane CIA agent can still save the world every season because she's nuts. And so I'm like, do I need a Jack Ryan show now? Not really. But man, if this show had been on in like 1997 or something, I'd have been that'd have been my must watch TV every week. I just felt like they waited way too long to do this. So so I forgot what my original question was. <laughs> Why are there so few? Yeah, <laughs> if this was a British franchise like Bond, I feel like we would have had a Jack Ryan movie every two years for the last thirty years. Why did we only have? And 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 they're all so different. It's like they completely reboot with different actors and different everything every ten years when they redo these. So, what do y'all think? Whoever feels like addressing that, if anybody. Yeah. yeah oh, gosh, I guess I'll take a go at it here. Uh, I think that. Originally, Tom Clancy was big, and there was the Cold War element, and that carried over from the end of the 80s into the 90s. And then we kind of had the post 9 11, mm. um, you know, the post 9 11 uh, uh, world that we were living in, and it was all about fighting terrorism at that point. Um, and it's not that Tom Clancy didn't. Uh, write stories about that i mean i'm thinking of like rainbow six and and some of them got turned into video game franchises um mm -hmm. but yeah i don't man i can't figure out i guess they did try to do uh didn't they have that shadow recruit tom clancy shadow mm -hmm. recruit and if jack you notice, ryan shadow, yeah. yeah yeah jack ryan shadow and it seems like they they've tried to evolve him more and more towards a jason born yeah james bond type character absolutely um up to the the most recent one that's on amazon prime which i've enjoyed i i thought that uh, mm -hmm. um that that's that's a good good show but i think it just kind of had its day in the 80s and 90s and then got kind of overcome by events and maybe now poised to make a comeback with uh, uh what's his name krasinski um yeah, playing uh, Jack Ryan seems to be seems to be popular. So, uh, who knows? Maybe we're seeing the second wave of Jack Ryan right now. 
Well, you know, Bond was able to bridge the divide between the Cold War and the post-Cold War pretty effectively, but I would argue that Bond was never really about the Soviet Union and the Cold War quite as much as Jack Ryan was. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It just always felt like the whole Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan thing. Maybe it's just because the first book was so much about that. Well, we're kind of getting into the um, end of the weeds here, but I really think that with Tom Clancy, those first few books were really a labor of love. And he put a lot of effort into researching the equipment, the history, um, the uniforms. He, uh, he, he was very descriptive in his books. And you could tell there was a passion for the Cold War. By the time he's writing the post-9-11 stuff, he is a big name. And I, I just don't think quite the passion was there. They're, they they felt to me like, you know, kind of, I hate to say it, but kind of common novels, uh, common thrillers, common shoot-em-ups. Um, and, you know, I, I think that maybe that's part of the reason why is, is it just there wasn't that, that passion there that, that you were able to capture and translate uh, onto the screen, like his Cold War stuff, you were able to do. That's interesting. It really is, Jared. What do you think? Um, being a uh, little younger than Jason and being into video games, I think video games played into that more than we might realize. I think that video games start becoming on the rise because I, I think they dropped some of all fears was early two thousands, um, and that was the last Jack Ryan movie. I think. Period. 2002-ish? Well, we had the the Shadow Recruit thing with Captain Kirk, right? Okay, yeah, I never yeah. did see that one. And that, that might have come out later, too. My point being, they, as we get closer to the late 90s, where video games really start taking a larger piece of the entertainment pie, and Clancy mm-hmm. is insanely successful at them. His Rainbow Six games and his... Um, what's the other one, Jason? What, do you play Stealthy? Uh, that was Ghost uh, Ghost Recon. There's Ghost Recon, and there's another one, uh, Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell is the other one I was trying to think of. So he he gets wildly successful at, at games, and games, I mean, are starting to, I'm guessing, are paying him more than books at that point. And I think that's where, you know, Jason says you see more commonplace novels. I think Clancy starts becoming hugely successful in the video game world, which wants me to beg the question that you brought up, Van, you, you said, well, James Bond succeeded. It might be because of James Bond's failure at video games <laughs> that the <laughs> movies succeeded so well. Because outside, okay. of, outside of GoldenEye, there's never been a blockbuster James Bond video game. I would know. I'm doing a literal documentary about this. <laughs> I like the with love a lot. And there's some good ones, but nothing that sold like the Tom Clancy series. So I suspect that that might have been a diversion or a big boon for him financially so i think he put a little more energy into that i mean you only as van you know this as as creators we only have so much energy and when you start to split it between video games and books i think you might get those more watered down books that jason was talking about but i mean the dude's empire just grew exponentially with video games i think that might have played a part in it and he was into computer stuff from from the beginning i mean like i said red storm rising was based on S- computer simulation games that they were wargaming of of NATO versus versus the Warsaw Pact back in the eighties, you know. 
on very primitive computers. They were doing basically war games, like like the mm-hmm. movie. Like the movie, yep. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so um, another topic I've been trying to cover on this show for a long time, but I'll get around to it eventually. Hit me up, man. We just watched it. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to do 80s Reagan-era Cold War movies like Firefox, Gorky Park, and War Games, and a couple of others, and kind of do a show talking about all those. So I'll, RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, maybe not Robocop. I just like it. It's of that era, but it's not of that era. <laughs> Red Heat. So yeah, that was that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Um, okay, so let's let's wrap up. Uh, then Patriot Games. Um, Jared, you can go this time. Strongest and weakest things about that movie, in your opinion? Like Jason, it's it's my least favorite of the three, but I still like it. I would say strongest thing. I think it builds tension well as it's supposed to get to that climax at the Ryan home and Samuel L. Jackson, James Earl Jones. And of course her name is going to fall in my head. The minute I went to say it, I've been thinking it this whole time we've been talking and Archer. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. I like her a lot. Um, So (laughs) I do. And I think that's why she got, uh, (coughs) excuse me. I think that's why she got brought back for the second film. I think she's really good. And so I just think that those are probably the highs, the lows. And this is bugs me every time I've seen it prepping for this podcast is probably the third or fourth time I've seen it. This bugs the heck out of me. Okay. So they're leaving the house at the end. They're sneaking out, right? The bad guys are trying to kill them. They go down. They very cleverly hide everybody while Jack Ryan takes, uh, goes out to a boat. And he's like, Oh, he's taking one of our boats. Let's go get another boat. Right. Let's go get him. They have to swim there. Just like he did. So if you're Jack Ryan, you hide, cleverly hide everybody, you swim to the boat, and then you just wait there. And when they start swimming it towards you, you shoot them all. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that or they're extravagant boat chase. They could have taken both boats. They could have <laughs> taken both boats <laughs> and left. Both boats and left. I was wondering that too. Well, allegedly the ending, the original ending was that, that uh, Jack and um, Sean fought in the water. And test audiences really didn't like it. And so they went back and put in more of a big ending. But that was what a lot of the critics didn't like. Critics were like, oh, suddenly it became an Indiana Jones movie or something. Which I think Harrison Ford makes them think that. I don't think that's an Indiana Jones ending. But um, but yeah, they 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 had to sex up the ending, as they say, right? Because it was not it was not fireworks enough just to have them kind of fight and him die. So they had to drag it out. Like they did everything back then. All those, yeah, all no, those it, 80s action movies had like the triple ending. You know what I mean? <laughs> bad guy stopped. Hero and heroine hug. Bad guy pops up in the background. Fight again. Kill him again. You know, they always have to do that and drag it out. You know, so. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that one left a whole lot of like eh, plot holes. Uh, but otherwise, like I said, uh, I liked it. And I'll go highs and lows to Jason. Yeah, I think the highs for me was I thought uh, Sean Bean was a terrific villain, man. He just was he was a powder keg ready to go off in every scene. And uh, I just really thought he gave a tremendous performance. I also liked, even though he wasn't in it an awful lot, I love seeing uh, um, Richard Harrison anything. (laughs) So, Uh, yeah, he was um, good. Oh, man, he was fantastic as well. Um, I think that uh, the weakness is. Yeah, kind of the ending. I thought it it ended up being kind of a uh, hokey um, '90s action movie ending. Uh, I wonder if 
because the producers had Harrison Ford, they felt compelled to do an Indiana Jones-esque ending, like you were saying. Uh, but it, it just didn't quite work for me. Um, but overall, really good film. Enjoyed watching it again. Most people I've heard from like the third one, the one we're about to talk about uh, here in a second, more than this one. But I got to say, I like this one better, honestly. I Not as much as Red October. But the thing I like about Patriot Games... I like that it does a completely different conflict. Um, well, all three of them do completely different conflicts, to be fair. There's the Cold War, there's the Irish IRA thing, and then there's the drug war, and they're three completely different areas. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that they kind of spread it around. But I liked that it, this one was very personal. It's kind of like Jack Ryan 2. This time it's personal, you know? I liked that <laughs> this time it was just a clean cut. Jack does something that he just normally would do trying to be a hero, gets himself hurt, right? He's not, he's not Superman. He's not Captain America. And, and it turns into this vendetta. It's the kind of thing that we see in, you know, Alistair McLean type stories and other stories from that era. Bond movies kind of, you know, have touched on things like that, where you got the, the like, you know, you got this vendetta and the villains trying to track him, the, the hero down the whole time. I, I thought it was, it had a lot of tension. I liked that they brought Jack's family in, put them in great danger. Uh, the, the big shutdown at the house is very contrived. Certainly the last act of the movie is very contrived, right? We're going to have everybody out at the house where they're vulnerable and, Oh, what a shock. The bad guys show up. Who saw that coming? You know, um, they should have said they were going to go there and then just had nothing but like CIA agents waiting with machine guns. And when the IRA, IRA, IRA guys roll up, <laughs> they're done. You know, there's nobody there except them waiting with the guns, you know, but, um, but no, I I, I I thought it was a very tight story again, kind of like Hunt for October, compared to Clear and Present Danger, which I've I've seen it like four times now, and I still and I've read the Wikipedia summary, I read the book, <laughs> and I still am not entirely sure what's going on in that story. It's just it to me that one, Clear and Present Danger, real segue over. All right, we have to pause here for just a moment to thank the folks that keep our programs on the White Rocket Entertainment Network on the air. We do not have any outside advertising on any of our shows. We are entirely supported by our listeners, by people like you. So if you would like to join the ranks of the White Rocket Entertainment family and help keep our shows like this one going, just go to www.patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket, or you can just go to my website, www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and there's a button there for Patreon. You can join right up. Here are the folks who are currently, as of this recording, helping keeping our shows going. They include Samuel Salvatore and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor. And then there's Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Morgan, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, Logan Chilton, Tom Anderson, Richard Stevens, Wilson Beard, Ben Bloodworth, Connor Davis, James Greenwell, Emmanuel Seaman, WDE Richie, Phil Davis, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Kevin Smith, Winston Body, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, David Hegler, Mickey B, Shane Bailey, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Ann Kangian, Clay Henson, George Gaston, Catherine England, John McCune, David Evers, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Steve Harlan, Rich Reimer, Timothy, Chris Hilton, Tim Pittman, and Todd Gray. 
Plus, Eric Mahan, Dibama, Sarah Hines, Darius Benton, Blake Heron, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Houston, Kato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Kevin Kenoy, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Hugh Anderson, Rob Morgan, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Mike Finley, Randall Walker, Russell Milling, Chris Thrash, Earl Ricks, Spanky Chris, Jason Albrick, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Matthew Flowers, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Trevor Johnson, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, James Taylor, Brant Rumble, and Justin Bean, and finally, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Mick Vigicana, Joey Miller, and Mark Squire, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. Thank you all so much. You, too, for as little as a dollar a month can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or go to patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket. Now back to our show. To me, clear and present danger is just one complication too many. It we're into the we're well into the 90s when it comes out, and we're into that 90s habit of having to add one or two too many twists to these stories. The Bond movies suffer from that too, right? If you look at like the late 80s, early 90s Bond movies, like think about Living Daylights. It's a great movie, but there's you, you always get the sense with Living Daylights that there's like one too many plot twists in there and you kind of go, whoa, wait, wait a minute, what? You just go with it, but whoa. And this movie to me, uh, uh, Clear and Present Danger did that a little bit because there's so many moving parts. Whereas one of the things I appreciate about Patriot Games is that there's not a lot of moving parts to it. It's very straightforward, right? I mean, the only real complication you have in Patriot Games is that there's kind of like two groups of Irish people and and Sean Bean's crowd is more extreme. And once you kind of figure out that um, Harris, Richard Harris is like the more moderate and Sean Bean is with the more extreme and they don't get see eye to eye necessarily, once you get that, there's really nothing else to figure out about the movie. So you guys, last thoughts about Patriot Games before we segue into the last one, Clear and Present Danger? Was that uh, fair, Jared, what I was saying, you think? Well, no, because The Living Daylights is one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, <laughs> I clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was biting my tongue on that Living Daylights. No, he, uh, he's actually right. We, we do joke about it. Living Daylights has an overcomplicated plot. Uh, I'm still not sure about diamonds for heroin. To I, I don't know. Anyways... Uh, but no, the point is well made, and and I think you're see right. what happened was. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I definitely, and we'll talk about it as we segue in when we get to highs and lows. Uh, I will have a low wrapped around the overcomplication questions I have that I don't know that there's answers for. Maybe you guys can answer them, but I'll let you know when we get there. Well, yeah, and I, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, Jason, I forgot. Did you go up by all means? No, I think that you're absolutely right. The strength of this movie is it's very straightforward. It's man versus man. And it's, uh, uh, I, I guess the thing that I find weakest about it is it's, it's just really loosely tied to historical events and, and the, and the IRA, um, when compared to the cold war and, and Russian naval history, that rich mix that we had with hunt for red October, I just kind of wish there would have been a little bit more, um, a little more, uh, IRA history woven in, into this story, like it was in the book. Uh, I think if you're looking for a good um, Harrison Ford action movie with uh, uh, IRA elements in it, uh, The Devil's Own is 
is probably my preferred movie over hmm. this one. I haven't seen that one. I do know that we have another James Bond in a movie about Irish terrorists, right? The uh, the uh, the foreigner with Jackie right. Chan. Yeah, that was good. That was good, yeah. good movie. Another another great and and Pierce, of course, is Irish, so that worked out very mm-hmm. well. Uh, very both were fantastic. Well, we're, yeah, let's segue into the last one now. Clear and present danger, and then again at the end, if there's anything else we've left out. Um, Because I don't want to like break down every plot detail of every movie. I just want to have a general conversation about what we thought about these movies and kind of how they stand up today, you know. So Clear and Present Danger. I mean, like like I said, it's it's a movie that um, it's a little more complicated. You bring Harrison Ford back. You bring back, um, I guess, Admiral Greer, James Earl Jones one more time. Uh Um, I would have given anything if 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 like Jack had messed up and Greer had risen up from the hospital bed and said, Jack. You have failed me for the last time. <laughs> Where's the soundboard? <laughs> nah, I'm not, not going to go there on this show. But, um, but yeah. I saw it, Darth Vader in the same movie. It's true. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, as buddies. Who would have thought? Um, Mace Windu no in Beverly, the previous one. <laughs> that's right. And no Beverly Crusher, though. <laughs> so, yeah, this one is the drug war. And I remember... I remember that like Cardinal the Kremlin came out the book and it was, again, we're in the Soviet Union, the Cold War. And then right after that, the Cold War kind of ended and everybody that all of my friends that were Clancy fans, we're all like, what's he going to do now? Right. I mean, what's Clancy going to do? He, he, he writes these Cold War books other than Patriot games. Um, what's he going to do? And of course, nobody was really surprised when clear and present danger came out and it was all about, Columbia and the drug war. It was kind of like, in fact, I remember reviewers saying, I guess Tom Clancy has decided that the next big thing is the, is the drug war. And I don't know that it works as well, but for this story, I thought it was pretty effective. So Jason, um, let's just do it one more time. Uh, you read the book, right? You saw the movie. What was your reaction when you, when, when clear and present danger came out? I thought that this movie really, got to the heart and the spirit of the book the drug war itself is really kind of a sideshow what this movie is about the clear and present danger is the abuse of power at the executive level and jack ryan is at this point in time he's apparently like he's a senior level um uh, analyst and uh, obviously he kind of ends up because of greer's uh, failing health ends up uh, in, in a position of power that he is woefully unprepared for <laughs> and as such is manipulated by those um, who have their 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 own agendas or are using you know the the power of the CIA and the military um, for their you know for their own uh, for their own ends so I I thought that the spirit of the movie really matched the tone of the book I enjoyed it again it's it's much more of an actioner on this one and we see Harrison Ford even more go into that uh man of action role although to your point van he he does look like a man that's in over his head i thought that the uh the final scene there where he has to jump onto that helicopter and the look on his face i think any one of us would have looked at that same look if we if we'd had to do it so um so kudos to to the acting chops of Harrison Ford there um, but yeah, I thought the book was overall entertaining, interesting, uh, and the movie captured captured spirit of it uh, rather well. I enjoyed it. Jared, what's your thoughts? 
Oh, I've been many, many years since I'd listened to the book, so I had no memory of it. And watching Clear and Present Danger for this podcast was my first time. I realized as I was watching, I was like, I've never seen this before. Wow, <laughs> I, interesting. Cool. I okay. Known of it. And I'm like, you know, I've never seen this before. So I was very engrossed in it. Uh, I And I was just going to, once again, you know, Jason and I are cut from very similar cloth. I was going to say the same thing as Jason, that the drug war angle is really just incidental. It, it truly is about to me about the machinations of, of power abuse and, and things. And as a, a leadership training professional, I, I had a field day uh, <laughs> watching this movie, uh, especially watching the president and his leadership uh, decisions in the mm. film. Uh, but overall, it was really, really quite good, really exciting for me. You know, I'm all about sort of cast and crew. So seeing the bad guy from Desperado uh, was, was cool. <laughs> and, uh, and Agent Coulson, Five points for anybody who spotted Agent Coulson in that movie. Jason, you don't count because I already pointed him out to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What are you doing it? I don't remember. He has like two lines. It's it's the scene where they're going to recruit um, the sniper guy who's sort of the focus of the military team, the young sniper, and he's crawling through the grass. Oh, and Chavez. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Master Sergeant is sitting there trying to find him. Colson, Agent Colson is the guy standing next to the master sergeant. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I didn't, yeah, I, I guess I noticed it and then forgot. Yeah. I was just real- like, oh, before he got picked up by Shield, there he is hanging, hanging out. But I, that those are all tiny details. I'll just agree with Jason overall. I, I liked the scope of it. I liked the that we got to see boots on the ground combat action along with uh, machinations of political intrigue. It felt very much like a Jason Bourne in that way. Uh, Jason Bourne's always about who's trying to help him and who's trying to screw him over at the highest levels, you know, and that's what that felt like to me. Of course, this predates that, but this is the first time I've seen it. So there you have it. Yeah, I I, I, I think the one thing that I remember very strongly from the book that we only got a little peripheral touching on in this movie was it seems like Clancy really made a big production out of Cortez, the assassin, seducing the American woman because her apartment overlooked the the right view he needed to shoot somebody. And so we got scene after scene of her, of him, you know, romancing her and everything. And then finally, when he kills her, it's a shock because you're like, my gosh, he's been romancing her for half this giant thick book. And then all of a sudden he just kills her. And you're like, what? Whereas in the movie, you kind of saw it coming because you knew who he was and you knew what was going on. And it wasn't quite as, it didn't have quite the same impact, I didn't think. I may be misremembering a little bit, but that's the gist of it. So that was the main thing to me that I thought, because they kind of had to hurry a lot. There's a lot that happens in that book, and they have to squeeze it all down. Now, we do get, one thing I really like about this movie, we get Mr. Clark. And for those that have read those early books, Mr. Clark is one of the draws, right? He's one of the best things about those early books because he's the shadowy CIA operative that goes out and does the dark ops, you know, the black ops and stuff and that, that other people can't or won't do. He's, he's like the guy that they will disavow any knowledge of if he gets captured or whatever. And he even has a book of his own, which uh, without remorse, which I thought was one of my favorite. Mine too. Uh, yeah. Books. I was going to mention yeah. that as well. That's a fantastic book. Maybe really- you guys can help, help me. I, um, is he sometimes referred to as the clandestine in this series? I've heard that that term bandied about in the uh, Tom Clancy realm. The clandestine is like a like a badass agent out in the field. I'm wondering if it was that Clark or maybe that's a video game know. thing. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't remember him being referred to as a clandestine. However, in the books, I mean, that is kind of his role. And he is he is kind of Greer's ace in the hole, so to speak. And if you read the book without remorse, it tells the his Clark's whole story and how he ends up being indebted uh, to Greer and and becoming the character that he is. Is is his character in the um oh what's the one that had um the, all the names are falling out of my head now the 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 Jack Ryan movie of the early two thousands was some of all fears some of all, some fears. Of all fears was his character in that was he played by Lee Schreiber Schreiber yes yes okay. he is played by Schreiber in that movie. okay yeah. that's the dot I'm trying to connect I've heard a couple people refer to him as the clandestine I, I don't. I don't, maybe that comes from the video games, like I said. But okay, so those are the same character. That's the bridge I was trying to make. I thought that um, Defoe was really good as him. I I, I didn't think oh, I was going to yeah. like him, but I thought he did a really because he he, oh, yeah. he had that attitude. You know, he kind of had that that total disdain for Ryan. Like you don't know what you're doing. You have no business here. You know, this is my domain. Get out of here. You know, I thought that was one of more, more one of my more favorite parts of this movie and this story. Mm-hmm. is that they had to work together, but they had to earn it. You know, they both had to figure out that each other was on the same side and, and kind of come to halfway trust each other. It's like the first time we see them together. And I thought that was very effective. That was very good. Very much so. Uh, one of the things I noticed watching it for the first time, I liked the on-screen um, chemistry between uh, Ford and Defoe so much that I was like, they should do more movies together. That's how much I enjoyed their on-screen time together. I thought they were they played yeah. off each other really well. Yeah, now, I thought one of the best one of the best scenes in that that movie was when um, Chavez comes out of the jungle and starts attacking Clark, and it says, "Whose fault is it?" And, and Ryan the says, "It's my fault. It's yep. my fault." And that and that sets the mm-hmm. tone for the three of them right there. I yeah. thought that was well played. And that is a strength, by the way, I think, of the movie, is when we get the three of them together, they work really well together. They're three very mm-hmm. cool characters that were in kind of different directions, and when you bring them together and kind of get them on the same page, I do really like that. Yes. I think we had we had maybe one too many Latin American warlords kind of confusing me. We had one too many... Con- uh, I, I guess there was, there was the shenanigans going on in Colombia, and there was the shenanigans going on in Washington, D.C., and there were connections, obviously, very strong connections. But after a while, they started kind of doing this to me. And I'm not sure why who's trying to why this person's trying to assassinate that person. I'm like, wait, what was who? So it just wasn't as crisp and clean of a story as the first two. And, and, and I guess that was kind of the point, right? It's about how Washington engages in these Machiavellian labyrinthine operations and they get blowback. right? It could be called blowback, honestly. Well, and the, the thing of it, too, was, you know, you have this whole movie of, of point, counterpoint, quid pro quo, things escalating, people dying. And then in one scene back in Washington, D.C., around the table, the national security advisor says, man, I think we need to stop this. And the president's just like, right, make it go away then. And that's it. And they're yeah. done. And they've walked away from everything and left this mess and left all those soldiers out there out there to die and, and left left Ryan out on the limb to take the heat for it. So I, I thought that that was, um, you know, I think that's at the heart what the story's all about. Just these capricious decisions that people in power make 
with no care about the consequences of their actions. And you know what? I hadn't thought about it till you said that. This is the one of all three of them that I could almost see in some ways being a Jack Reacher story. I could see Reacher mm-hmm. being the Clark character, and I could see Reacher being the Jack Ryan character, depending on different stages of his career. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, the other two, there's no way. You know, he's he doesn't do that kind of thing. But I could see I could see a Reacher story where he's exposing a corrupt government official and getting involved in combat out in the jungle. That both would fit him. You know what I mean? Sure. N- maybe not necessarily the Tom Cruise version, but <laughs> but the more literary version that's that looks like Cam Newton. I could see uh, I could see that playing out. We're supposed to get, by the way, a Jack Reacher series starring a guy as big as Cam Newton. Because you know he's. De- I always say that he's described in the books as being the exact same size as Cam Newton, six five, two hundred and fifty pounds. That's exactly how big Cam is. So um, and Tom Cruise both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so. Um, so strongest and weakest, uh, if we haven't already covered that, any, any you know, strongest of thoughts, uh, Jason, about about this one? Oh, I think that uh, uh, this one definitely has a lot of action. It's got a lot of twists and turns that you've got to keep up with. I think I'll just say for strongest, it has one of the scenes that gets me every time is that scene with um, James Earl Jones as Greer on the dying on the bed and and given Jack that one last lesson and, and saying, you'll re- remember if you will, that you swore an oath. And, and that's what stirs Jack into action. And that, that's, that scene gets me every time. That's um, I think that's my, my favorite part, probably my favorite scene in all three of these Jack Ryan movies. That's good. Jared. Oh, sorry. Also. Sorry. Sorry. Least favorite. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, somebody needs to fire Jack Ryan's secretary because the moment he needed to make a copy, PC load letter, are you kidding? What? <laughs> <laughs> no paper? Come on, man. Yeah, secretary needs to be fired. <laughs> well, I, I, of course, love the scene that Jason referenced. I'm going to give the movie props for action. Like Jason said, I'm going to cite an action scene um, that's kind of hard to watch and i'm sure jason will back me up on this too is when they are tricked into the blind alley and that is absolute um terrorist tactics destroy lead and vehicle and then slaughter everybody in between uh what a tense scene um i know uh, both jason and i have been a little too close to that before <laughs> and uh hard to watch but if it's hard to watch that means they did it right so it was mm. it was incredibly well done um but but yeah a little a little hard to watch but uh overall great of the three movies, I think this one has the best climax. We we talked about how that it was a little weak and tacked on for um, Patriot Wait. Games, and we talked about how there wasn't really a there's kind of a forced battle at the end of Hunt for mm-hmm. October. This one had that you know we got the sniper guy, we got the spec ops CIA guy, we got Jack Ryan just trying to get along. You know, I thought that was a great end, uh, and then to wrap it up with the intrigue of the political stuff at the end uh, was incredibly good. Uh, my low, and I'm going to go back to something you said at the start of this, Van, was Cortez wooing the other secretary, right? And this mm-hmm. one, it wasn't about apartment placement. It was just, it was just, I think he was getting information from her that she didn't even really know she was giving mm-hmm. him. He was picking up clues about movements and things from her. And then he goes and meets her in the woods, right, at the cabin, romantic. They start kissing and all mm-hmm. that. And then he kills her. And I'm 
I'm with you, Van. I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. All he did was kill a source of information that didn't even know she was giving betraying yeah. information. You, you, why would you kill that source? It made no sense to me that he murdered her. And if you're going to murder her, at least have the fun evening first. She was totally <laughs> into it. <laughs> she was going to cook dinner. I know, too. right? Like he blew his whole evening with that move. But all right, jokes aside, though, I never understood why. Why he? I mean, did they just? Did mm -hmm. they, did they need to show us he's a bad guy. I knew he was a bad guy. Uh, it makes no sense strategically to kill her. I, I felt like they were yeah, I, copy what was in the book, but in, but it wasn't the same thing, like you said. I'm sorry, Jason. No, I was going to say exactly the same thing you were, Van. I, I think they were trying to get the spirit of what was in the book, but what was in the book made sense. Yeah. Because, you, you know, but, but this one, I got the sense what they were trying to say was, well, he killed her so she couldn't reveal what he looked like or who he was. But, um, I mean, the fact that he killed her probably would have, well, it did start. Yeah, People. it put more dogs on his trail than anything they, else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, it didn't didn't quite make as much sense. I think they were trying to equate it to the book, and it just didn't work out quite the same. I, my my final thought, Van, and I'll I'll toss it back to you. I told you I did look at it from a leadership point of view, and I've had leadership discussions with Jason before about this very topic. Good leaders never have to remind you that they're in charge. And that's why I thought the movie did really well, because at the end, when they went face to face, Harrison Ford and the president, the president said, I'm the president of the United States. And I'm like, that's the surefire uh, moment that you have lost control and you are no longer the leader. And I mm -hmm. thought, well done, movie. As a leadership trained professional, I thought you got that detail right. That's cool. I, and I say I wouldn't have thought about that. I guess, in you know, kind of like intuitively, you can appreciate it, but I hadn't thought it out literally the way you describe it. So that's really cool. That's pretty cool. I think. Um, yeah, those are those. That's good stuff. I think that. By the way, what I read was that John Milius again had written a script for this that Tom Clancy didn't like. In fact, Clancy didn't like any of the scripts for any of these movies. They kept rewriting the, the Patriot Games. I think they rewrote it like three or four times. Brought in different writers. They rewrote this one, but um, Milius' script got thrown out for this one. Except they kept him around as a consultant for the SUVs in the alley scene. Because he wrote that in, his, in one of his in one of his drafts, he had that scene, and they liked it. And they wanted to have that action set piece, and so they kept him around just for that. But other people wrote the rest of the movie. But um, he got it. He got it right. It was yeah, tense. Yeah, and I, I feel like we've seen that scene a hundred times since then. But that was the first time we really saw it. Because I've seen it. I'm sure I've seen it on Homeland. I've seen everything like this on Homeland at this point. They just did it again. On Season two of Jack Ryan. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm two episodes into season one, but I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to keep watching it. But I'll probably watch some of it tonight. Um, but the, I guess if I'm going to say the strongest and the weak, weakest things about it, what one of the things I really I really did like about the movie, well, for one thing, I like that we had, we had Harrison Ford again. He's not my favorite Jack Ryan, but let's at least keep the same guy around more than one movie. Because if, you know, if, if Harrison Ford hadn't done this movie, we would have a different Jack Ryan in everything. We would never have the same Jack Ryan twice right. if you think of the TV show as one thing. Um, but the other thing I liked was I liked that for the first part of this movie, it, it comes across very much as a almost like a police procedural in Washington. So I guess that's like a federal procedural, you know, in the Capitol, in the government. And then suddenly 
Harrison Ford is in the middle of Columbia with people trying to blow him up and kill him. And I'm like, oh, oh, see, so it kind of <laughs> it, it zigged instead of zagging. And it gave us a completely different kind of movie, which leads us to the other cool stuff, which is Ryan having to basically the most to me, the tensest moment of the movie is will our two heroes try to murder each other because Clark didn't trust Ryan and, they have to come <laughs> and then Ding comes in and you get the three of them, which are awesome. So to me, that was the best part was pretty much everything that, that Jack did after he had to go to Columbia and work with them. But I, I, I think maybe my weakest thing other than that, it was a little too complicated maybe. And that's fine. I mean, it's a, it's, it's the most, it's the most bureaucratic. I think of the three. You get a little bit of that in Red October, not really any of it in 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 Patriot Games. It's the most jack at the, jack at work. You know what I'm saying? It's the right. most jack at work dealing with bad fellow employees, really bad fellow employees. It's almost like evil the office, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, except that the bad boss is the president of the United States, and and then Cutter and Ritter and Mister Furley and all them. Um, but um. Yeah, I, I felt like it, um, it It had a lot going for it. I just wish that it hadn't – it just got a little too confusing for me in places. And, again, I've read it. I've watched it several times, and I still kind of go, man, it just it's just one twist too many. But it, I think it did do a lot of things that we hadn't seen in this kind of movie before and pioneered the way. And, and that's pretty cool, right, because a lot of things that come along after it copy it or take their cues from it. So – um, any last thoughts about this movie, Jared? Uh, just to add one more plot twist to this film, I sat there the whole film trying to think, where have I seen this actor before who played the lead uh, drug dealer, head mm -hmm. drug dealer guy? Where have I seen him before? And then it finally clicked, and I realized that after this movie, he got put in a witness protection program, and he <laughs> went down and did some digging for John Hammond and found that amber with the mosquito in it. Uh, to start Jurassic Park because he that was the actor where I'd seen him before. He was the guy doing the dig that found the amber at the beginning of Jurassic Park. Wow, <laughs> that's how I'm connecting the two movies in my head. Wow, well, that is it? a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've been trying this whole episode to figure out how to get that stupid comment in there, and there you have it. But, <laughs> but no, overall, I really enjoyed going back and doing this journey. I'd never really watched the movies back to back to back. And I'd never seen Clear and Present Danger as I found out when I watched it this time. So this was fun, and I'm glad you put it together. Yeah, cool. Uh, Jason, thoughts on any last thoughts on Clear and Present Danger or like the trilogy overall? Well, the one thing about Clear and Present Danger that really bothered me was that scene where he tells the president, no, no, you should say you are lifelong friends. And like, I don't understand how that strategy would work. Because <laughs> if, if I'm a reporter, it's like, you're lifelong friends with the drug launderer. I just, <laughs> you don't find that odd? <laughs> I was I just like, I don't get it, man. I, it seemed weird. The only explanation I came up with was, is, is sort of the classic strategy of lean into it mm -hmm. and, and, uh, okay. and be like, you know, like I, sometimes people would reward you more for showing loyalty or friend. Yeah, we were lifelong friends. I didn't know this was happening and this is awful, but I'm not going to betray my friend. And maybe they would reward, you know, the public would reward you, your loyalty in some way. I, that's uh, the only way I, I could explain it to myself. Okay. But I, I was kind of with you, Jason. I was like, that strategy doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> well, like, I haven't seen that guy in years, man. I went to school. <laughs> well, I gotta say, that's the thing, though. That's the thing, though, Jason. Is it, I, guess the, I guess the idea is if you, most politicians would go the other route and go, I've never heard of him. I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never seen him. And everybody's immediately going to go liar, 
liar. Yeah, and then if you get exposed pictures, for that, it's even worse. Pictures will turn up, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like, yeah, like he's, there's that saying, lean into it or hang a lantern on your problem. Right. Yeah. And that, okay, I guess it makes sense. Pretty much. It still did come across as weird because they didn't give yeah. us any real context for it. You had to kind of figure it out yourself. So, yeah. Um, but overall, yeah, enjoyed uh, Clear and Present Danger a lot. Liked all three of these movies and I enjoyed watching them all. Binged them both in like two days. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was I fun. Did. It was fun watching these again. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting that these three all came out in the 90s. It would have been nice if they'd had the same star in all three, either either if they'd had Harrison Ford. I don't know if I would have wanted Harrison Ford. It would have been interesting to have Harrison Ford and Sean Connery together in another movie besides Indiana Jones 3. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I could have seen Alec Baldwin yeah. in either Patriot Games or Clear and Present Danger, because those are both way more physical for the Ryan character. It's true. And I, and I, as much as it would have been neat to have Harrison Ford and Sean Connery together in another movie, I don't know that I wanted that older, world-weary Jack Ryan that Harrison Ford plays to be the guy that's in, you know, because a, a lot of Hunt for a lot of Alec Baldwin in Hunt for Red October is that he's young and kind of inexperienced and just kind of going on his instincts, and that's not who Harrison Ford was playing in those other two movies. It was like two different Jack Ryans, honestly. Yeah. So, Jared, you look like you have a thought about that. Oh, well, I was going to pass the question around and no one is prepared. So I don't know if anybody's going to have a great answer or not. But if you had to recast it and you can't mm. use either one that are in it, you got to pick that third one. Who would you pick to do your trilogy? Um, uh, Van, you mentioned Kevin Costner. Do you, would you stick with that? or? And, and when I say recast it, recast it with actors that were available in that time frame. Back then, yeah. I think that Costner totally could have done the, 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 the Harrison Ford movies. I'm kind of glad Alec Baldwin ended up not doing Patriot Games because I honestly, I don't think it would have been the same. I don't see him as that Jack Ryan. So, and I don't see Kevin Costner playing Jack Ryan in the, in the hunt for an October. I think you'd have had to find somebody more contemporary. I mean, I guess that, I guess that Costner was probably maybe the same age as, as Alec Baldwin, but he seems older somehow to me. Alec Baldwin just seemed really young. Maybe it's because we're so used to Alec Baldwin today. You go mm. back and watch Hunt for an October. He seems really young in that movie. <laughs> he's like, looks like he's in his twenties. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he did look I young. Know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know who in 1990 you could have gotten that would have been. I mean, not John Bruce Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis would have been about the right age, I guess. But even Willis is kind of a little more world weary by the time of Die Hard. You know, you again, I would want somebody that's younger and doesn't kind of have that. I've been around the block a couple of times, kid. Kind of look to him, you know. So I don't know. I'd have to dig out a casting book from 1990 to figure out who would who would match that. What do you think, Jason? Rucker Hauer? Yes? No? What do you got? <laughs> oh, Rucker Hauer would have been would have been awesome as Jack Ryan. No, I mean I was kind of I was kind of along the lines of a van with Kevin Costner, and in, in my mind, that's who I actually saw playing the character when I read the books. And uh, I think he could have done the physical elements of Harrison Ford. And I'm thinking back; I can't remember the name of that movie. You guys help me out. Where he plays the 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 naval officer that was actually a russian spy no way out no way out, no way out. there you go so i th i was thinking of him in that movie and i think that character would have translated well in the hunt for red october um so yeah i guess That's kevin good. costner would have been been my cast 
How about I thought of a couple from that era? How about Jeff Daniels? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I was just thinking of oh, I'm terrible. I, I got the great name in my head, then it falls out. Then I want to talk about it. I was originally leaning towards, and stay with me on this. I was originally leaning towards Michael Keaton. Would have been fun to watch in that. But now that Van said maybe somebody a little younger, then I kind of thought, well, what about Tim Robbins at that time? Could have yeah. been an interesting yeah. cast. And then I had one that I really liked, and then it fell out of my head. I'll, I'll just shout it out later when I remember it. Matthew Modine? Not bad. Like it. Kind of that same era, you know? I remember who it was. Um, this was, what if we're talking 1990, um, why not Val Kilmer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think Val, Val would Kilmer, good. I think Val Kilmer in 1990 is about as close to Alec Baldwin in 1990 as you're going to get. Yeah, and he stays in good shape all the way to Batman Forever. <laughs> so you get yeah. him pretty much uh, all the way to the mid-90s in, in good shape and, and very handsome. Oh, if after only Tombstone, he let himself go. <laughs> yeah, well, some things happened. After, uh, after... Well, he knew he was never going to get another part as good as what he got in Tombstone, man. He stole that movie and took it home with him in his pocket. But uh, I, if I was going to say, if only we could have gotten somehow, some way, if we could have gotten Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Soviet officer in one of these movies, like if he, I, I mean, I know it would have destroyed Hunt for Red October. It would have just like thrown it out the window, but I just wish. Well, they had, God. what's his name? Uh, Sven Olsen, the guy that, the yeah. big guy that was from Conan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He trained with Arnold. Yeah. He was on the Russian sub. But I, I still maintain, and you mentioned Tim Curry earlier. I maintain that my, one of my favorite parts of Hunt for Red October is Tim Curry popping up in a completely unexpected role as a Soviet submarine doctor. And we actually talked about this a little bit on the Dragon Con panel that he's totally, he sells it. He's like, mm-hmm. he's a hundred percent. He's never, you know what I mean? He's a hundred percent loyal beginning to end. He's totally fooled. And they basically just pull the wool over his eyes, the entire movie. Cause he's, you don't want to kill him. He's, he's cool. He's a nice guy. He's trying to help people. Yeah. You need him to panic to sell your grand plan. Yes. He's yes. an absolute pawn. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. He is. What I does think that say about somebody. him as an actor though? Tim Curry is an actor. We all yeah. know how outlandish and gregarious he can be, but in this role, he's, he, he takes his part and he does, does his job and, and sells it. I mean, to me, that speaks volumes about the, the range mm-hmm. of acting that man can do. And, and as Jerry was saying, there's so many great actors in that first movie. But uh, but Sam Neill, I think, also deserves special recognition. The whole thing running through. I mean, when you go back and watch Hunt for Red October now, knowing what we know now, as soon as Sam Neill starts talking about wanting to see Montana and a big buxom American woman and his and his in his uh, suburban vehicle or whatever. <laughs> as soon as he says that, you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to die. You know? You <laughs> yeah, know. Guys, he's, yeah, there's no way, right? He's I'm dead. I'm going through his locker. I'm taking all his nudie mags and all his candy. It's <laughs> like, you're not going to be needing this. But he, he's, that, he's that dude in the cop movie who's like, it's my last week until retirement. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 100%. 100%. He is the cop about to retire. That's exactly <laughs> right. And it's so sad because he's such a nice guy. He's such a cool character. It's like they decided somebody has to die. It needs to be the nicest guy. He's, he's kind of the Agent Coulson in a way of this movie, you know, the self-assured, nice officer that ends up kind of sacrificing for everybody else. And uh, oh. it's sad, but uh, maybe he could come. He should have come back in his own ABC show from the dead. See, and he could have been 
Lieutenant, whatever his name was, you know, Montana Sheriff. <laughs> oh, I've watched that show. Oh, my God. His bucks of life in his pickup truck. He's oh, yeah. sheriff out in Montana. Two bucks in wise, man. He's got two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine like a couple of drunk guys are fighting in a bar in Helena, and all of a sudden the cop, car, the cop pickup truck rolls up, and the sheriff gets out, and he's like, what are you men doing? <laughs> <laughs> I am slinking. You are going into the car now. <laughs> I would watch the crap out of that show, man. That would have been so. What a missed opportunity! So. What a missed opportunity! Oh, Van, you'll be proud of me, Van. Though I did use that movie as a teaching point for my son when he started talking about, "Could I go from here to here?" And I, I don't need papers. And my son was like, "What's he talking about?" So I was like, "Pause. Let me explain to you <laughs> how things worked in Soviet Russia." In like, <laughs> but I thought you'd appreciate that since you're the professor. You don't need things. papers. You papers need you. <laughs> and I got to explain to him. I was like, you know how we just get in the car and go to the beaches in Florida? I was like, in Soviet Russia, you had to get approval and you couldn't move from one state to another. And, it, and he was like, what? I'm like, yeah. So it was an interesting very, history lesson. Very humorless guards will check your papers at every opportunity. Yeah, Jason and I have, have d- done the route back when there was an East and West Germany into Berlin. We have been through Checkpoint Charlie and all that stuff. Yeah, we've seen yeah. the humorless guards. Yeah, I was there when the wall came down. <laughs> yes, we were. Man, wow, that's awesome. That is so cool. Well, guys, we could talk all night about these, but uh, I think no, that we can't. Covered... I'm at ten percent battery. So <laughs> okay, well then. We, Personally, we... I give Jason one chance in three. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'll take those odds. I think we've uh, it's worked out pretty well then. So I think we've covered them pretty well. And uh, I mean, again, we haven't gone into super detail. That wasn't my goal. I just want to kind of reminisce about these movies and kind of how they've held up and what we thought about them then versus now and everything. I think we pretty much. Uh, covered all that that's good so um i guess at some point it would be nice uh you guys if you want to look at uh in the future we could look at those other 80s movies like firefox and gorky park and you mentioned a couple of other ones that kind of fit into that same motif War games yeah war games absolutely we'll we'll have to do that so all right guys thanks for uh joining me and i get the rocket's gonna get on out of here for another episode we'll see you guys down the road bye bye This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.